640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app on this Monday, November 18th. At the uh, at the bottom of the hour, more unfortunate gun violence to tell you about. This a couple of them, one from a Fresno backyard just last night, four people were killed. In Duncan, Oklahoma, three people were killed at a Walmart parking lot. Uh, that one appears to have been a uh, some sort of a love triangle. We'll talk about that. The top of next hour, we're going to get into the story about Prince Andrew and uh, why he looked like such a complete a-hole in the middle of this uh, BBC interview. Just absolutely tone deaf. I'll play for you some of the cuts from this guy, making up stories about how he couldn't sweat anymore. He had an overdose of adrenaline at some point and said he can't sweat. Therefore, he never had sex with a teenage girl. Just an if he could be fired from the royal family, he would have been. Um, but let's start up in the uh, up in Saugus. Uh, the Santa Clarita Valley had a very rough weekend. Of course, dealing with the deaths of a couple of students at Saugus High School, Gracie Ann Mulberger and 14-year-old Dominic Blackwell, who were shot and killed Thursday morning in uh, the school shooting there at the high school. Uh, three other kids are recovering from their injuries, and uh, I'll actually play for you in a little bit a message that um, that Addison Kegley sent to everybody that was at that vigil last night in Central Park. The there's a there's a couple of uh, connections to this. My daughter is in high school in the Santa Clarita Valley. She was on lockdown on Thursday and had the conversations all weekend with her classmates, with uh, her parents, with everybody about going back to school today and what it was going to be like. In fact, she sat at the end of our bed last night, 10.30 at night, saying that she felt a little nervous about headed back to campus. And again, she's eight miles away from, from Saugus High School, but just the fact that violence was introduced like that on Thursday morning. And there are 10,000 some odd high school students in the Santa Clarita Valley who went back to school today. Saugus will remain closed until after the Thanksgiving break. But all of them, all of the students who went back to school today to these high school campuses were greeted by a half a dozen uniformed sheriff's deputies, other law enforcement, all of the administrators were there. My daughter has one of those early classes, and she said they were all out there at 645 to greet the kids as they came in. And I asked her, I texted her because that's how you could communicate with a 17-year-old, if she felt any safer seeing those people out there for her. And she said, not really. She didn't feel a whole lot safer. Part of the reason is she had to cross through the entire campus to get to the sort of the back side of campus. That's where her early class is. And there's a lot that can go through the mind of a 17-year-old thinking, could that ever happen in my quad? 
Could that happen to my friends? Could that happen to me? On Friday night, uh, her high school's football team was in a CIF playoff game. And the field that they play on is sort of centralized there in the Santa Clarita Valley. And both West Ranch High School and Long Beach Wilson High School, which is the team they played, agreed that all of the proceeds, all of the gate, would go towards Saugus and the victims' families. They also had buckets out there, and people were dumping all kinds of cash into those buckets for the families of the victims of the shooting at Saugus High School. Every time West Ranch scored a touchdown, instead of cheering for West Ranch, the cheerleaders ran across the, uh, the stands holding the banners that said SHS for Saugus High School. A bunch of people there from all of the different high schools in the Santa Clarita Valley to show support for Saugus. And I, I had the opportunity, totally by chance, to sit there surrounded by parents whose kids went to Saugus High School. And I was totally unapologetically eavesdropping on their stories. One of which was a mom who explained, she was explaining to her friend, that her son was in the quad Thursday morning at Saugus High School and saw everything. And this mom explaining how a 14-year-old boy reacts to what he saw that morning. And how they as a family now have, through no fault of their own, an uphill climb to get out of the hole of grief that they're in. That he knew some of the kids who were shot. That he specifically knew the shooter. And how the impact of this, at this, you know, three days at that point, it was 30 hours old. But how the impact of this is just an unknown at this point. Last night, thousands of people gathered in Central Park. They're just a couple of blocks away, as a matter of fact, from Saugus High School for this vigil. And when we come back, I want to play for you a couple of pieces of sound from the vigil. This is not, this is not emotional porn. It's not, it's, it's an opportunity for, I think, all of us, if you didn't have a chance to see this vigil, to remember that as we get back to normal, the farther away you are, the quicker you'll get back to your normal, that there's an entire population, there is an entire group of people, and it numbers probably in the tens of thousands, who are affected by this who will not be able to move on from this in any time soon, and whose lives are forever altered by what happened over the course of less than 20 seconds on Thursday morning. We'll play for you some of the pieces of that when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. You got a little, you can use much more. Oh, 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 oh,
Sky AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Shannon's out today. Uh, Mexico City, as a matter of fact. The Chargers are in Mexico City tonight to host the Kansas City Chiefs for Monday Night Football. So she'll be on the sidelines for that. You can hear the game about 5.15 here on KFI. Talking about the uh, vigil from last night up in Santa Clarita. To remember those uh, who were killed in the Saugus High School shooting on Thursday. 15-year-old Gracie Ann Muehlberger, 14-year-old Dominic Blackwell. A couple of weird, not, it's not the right word. Uh, but I don't do emotions very well, so I don't know what the right word would be. Touching, I'll say that. Because I knew some of the people who were up on that stage, and I've known them for years. Uh, I didn't know Gracie Ann Muehlberger or her family. And I didn't know Dominic Blackwell or his family. But I do know some of the people who were involved. And it was very hard to go through this morning. I didn't watch it last night. I didn't go. I didn't watch it. But this morning going through and and sort of at my own pace going through this was not anywhere near as uh, easy as I thought it was going to be. One of the people who took the stage last night was the principal at Saugus High School, Vince Ferry. And last night was the first time, the first time he'd spoken publicly about this. And you can tell right off the bat, he's going to have a hard time getting through this. This vigil is the first time I have spoken I will do it. This vigil is the first time I've spoken publicly, and I want my first words to be focused on Gracie and Dominic and their families. I want my first public words that I know will be far too inadequate to be heard by my students and my staff. This will be beyond hard, and I know I will need your support. Today, as with the past three days, Gracie Muehlberger and Dominic Blackwell are being prayed for by the world, the nation, the state of California, the city of Santa Clarita, but most importantly, by the Saugus community, the Saugus strong community. (laughs) The community's love and support that the families of Gracie and Dominic have been given the love and support that our injured have been given, the love and support that the students and staff at Saugus High School have been given has been greatly appreciated, deeply felt, and very much needed. The other parts about this, I, I'm not going to play these for too long because they are ridiculously difficult to listen to, but friends and family of Dominic and Gracie took to the microphone to honor these two young, uh, bright, full-of-life people uh, whose lives were cut short on Thursday. Thank you for being the best sister ever. I wouldn't want anyone else until I see you again. I love you, Gracie. I don't know if I told you this enough while you were still with us, but I love you so much, Gracie. And thank you for bringing your light into my life. Dominic was smart. Kind, funny, always willing to help his friends. I'm going to miss him. Our family will never get Dominic back. We'll never see his smile. Or hear his laughter. Or hold him ever again. There are uh, GoFundMe pages that have been set up 
for the victims' families. There are different ways that you can help out. There's a there's a website actually that does a very good job of explaining all the different ways that you can help out, but also has a pretty good clearinghouse of information for people who may need to talk to somebody about all this. Like if you have a kid who's in high school in the Santa Clarita Valley and you realize that you don't have the answers to some of the questions that they may be asking, if you go to saugusstrong.org, big website set up by the city of Santa Clarita that deals with information, where to find these different resources that you can talk to, that your kids can talk to, et cetera. But I wanted to end with this version. I wanted to end with this portion of what happened last night. Um, I had said on Thursday morning at about this time that uh, I knew one of the girls that had been shot, sister of a friend, et cetera. Uh, And at this time on Thursday, all we knew was that one of the female victims had been pronounced dead at the hospital. And it turned out that it was Gracie Muehlberger. But I didn't know they hadn't identified anyone at that time. And our family was dealing with the possibility that we would be one of those people who knows somebody who was killed in a school shooting. It turns out that the young girl that we know, Addison Kegley, was injured but went through surgery and is going to be fine, is already home and is recovering Addie actually recorded a message to everybody. She wasn't at the vigil, but she did record a message for everybody. And this is the way I wanted to end this whole segment talking about this vigil and talking about what what happened, because it, as heartbreaking as it is, it ends on a positive note. To my friends and family and my Saugus Strong community, I really appreciate all of the love and support. I'm so thankful for each and every one of you. I promise each of you that I will make something amazing out of this horrible situation. Gracie would have wanted me to. We've got this. So there you go. Um, Again, saugusstrong.org. There's places that you can help uh, donate if you want. If you feel like you need to talk to somebody, all that stuff is on there. uh, Saugusstrong.org. When we come back, uh, unfortunately, gun violence doesn't end. And uh, we've got one. We've got a situation up in Fresno where last night a handful of people were killed and uh, six were injured and something in Oklahoma as well because uh, because America. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Shannon's in Mexico City today. Chargers are down in Mexico City to uh, to actually be the home team. They're playing in Mexico City, but they're taking on the Chiefs tonight, which should be pretty uh, pretty high-flying game. CEO of PG&E is going to be going before lawmakers today. Bill Johnson scheduled to testify during an oversight hearing today in the state capitol regarding uh, the public safety power shutoffs. People are going to be... Uh, people are going to be pissed. Say that the impeachment inquiry hearings will enter a second week officially tomorrow. The House Intelligence Committee is going to be hearing from the first of eight witnesses. Nancy Pelosi, by the way, I don't know if you saw this. She actually invited the president to appear before investigators, and the president replied, "Hey, don't challenge me, don't tempt me, because maybe I do. Maybe I." Well, he was saying that he would offer written testimony, but. 
But still, uh, at the top of next hour, we're going to play some of the cuts from that Prince Andrew interview. If you haven't seen it, trust me, I'll fill you in on this thing. But this is the guy who was accused of hanging around with Jeffrey Epstein too much. And his explanations for why he was doing it, how he could not be the guy in the picture with the 16-year-old girl, and why it took him four days to break up with Jeffrey Epstein. Just an absolutely bizarre misstep on his account. Hey, our Postathon is coming up on Friday, December 6th. Of course, we broadcast all day live from Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove with uh, collecting money and pasta and sauce for Katarina's Club, which, of course, is Chef Bruno's charity, feeding tens of thousands of kids every week in Southern California. And 100% of whatever donation you give goes directly to Katarina's Club. Here's an easy way to do this, by the way. Go to any Smart and Final store, any California, Nevada, Arizona, any Smart and Final store. Ask about the $10 KFI Pastathon donation that features Barilla pasta and sauce, generously donated by the people from Barilla and Smart and Final. They will add 10 bucks to your bill, and along with that, you're going to get a code for a chance to win a 13-day trip for two to Italy, courtesy of Trafalgar, the world's leading guided vacation company. So for all of the information about Pastathon coming up December 6th, how you can donate online, different drop-off locations, etc. Go to pastathon.com. Well, I have a new twist for you when it comes to the uh, shooting in Fresno. At least 10 people were shot in Fresno, including four people who were killed during this party at a home in the southeast part of Fresno. A lieutenant said it happened about 6 o'clock last night, I guess as they were getting ready to watch the Rams game or just started watching the Rams uh, Rams game. And these people had gathered in a backyard. Somebody, they said, snuck into the crowd and opened fire. A shooter or shooters, maybe one, maybe more, approached the backyard on foot and then escaped on foot, they believed. Uh, the chief of police, Michael Reed, said that three, mount, uh, three men were found dead in the backyard there in Fresno in the immediate aftermath. A fourth guy died at the hospital. All of those shot were men between the ages of 25 and 30 years old. Six others are expected to survive, and they're recovering at the hospital. There were about 35 people, they said, gathered at the home at the time. Several kids were at the party, and they said they don't know exactly what kind of uh, weapon was used. But listen to this. At least two of the victims, at least two of the four victims, were identified as famous singers in the Hmong community, including Jai Lee, I guess, X-Y-Y, Jai Lee. And they have not reported any arrests. They've declined to comment on any suspect information or anything like that. But according to a, uh, a group in a social media post, they said the, the family identified one of the victims as Shai Lee, the famous Hmong singer, one of the victims was shot and killed at the family gather- gathering. They say this is truly a heartbreaking time for everyone involved. Thank you for all the beautiful music you've created. You will be truly missed, RIP. If, uh, if I mean, that's a very specific thing. It's highly unlikely that this was a random shooting. In fact, Fresno police had said they believed that this was a targeted thing and possibly that it would have gang ties. People don't just walk up to backyard parties and start shooting. So uh, that's likely what's uh, what's going to come out of that. If we do get an update from Fresno, by the way, we'll uh, bring it to you live because 
that's an unusual twist in all of this that it, that you that it was a celebrity at least one celebrity who was uh, involved in that there was another shooting in Oklahoma today i think we're going to find out that this thing was a love triangle of some kind according to the Oklahoma Highway Patrol a man wearing all black opened fire at a couple of people sitting in a car in the parking lot at this Walmart in Duncan Oklahoma and it was a man and woman in the uh, in the vehicle and then a man as well seen lying next to the vehicle in the crime scene. The weapon was recovered right there as well. They were saying that they're not sure if any customers or employees may have been injured during the shooting, but that this all took place outside in the parking lot of that Walmart in Oklahoma. And that that to me is an indication. I'm not saying it's happy or better or anything like that, just that that's probably – a love triangle relationship story gone bad. Definitely, uh, almost definitely not a random targeted shooting like that, uh, or I should say random. All right. Uh, the other headline that I saw over the weekend, which uh, just absolutely floored me. Last week, we understood that the NFL had set up a workout for Colin Kaepernick to appear at a practice facility used usually by the Atlanta Falcons, a practice facility where a couple dozen Teams would be represented to see this guy work out so that he could prove to them he's still in football shape, he's still ready to go, and he still wants to play. And then he absolutely ruined everything. He did, not the NFL. He did. We'll explain why this is uh, just infuriating to people who love the game when we come back. Gary and Channel will continue in a moment. Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. A couple stories we're keeping our eyes on. The shooting up in Fresno. Four people killed in a backyard. I guess a couple of the guys who were killed were very famous Hmong singers. Police said all the victims were Asian men ranging from 25 to 35. A bunch of people were gathered to watch football game when those shots rang out last night. Chargers are in Mexico tonight to host the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, Mexico City specifically. Kickoff at 5.15. You'll hear uh, Shannon, of course, on the sidelines there. She'll be back tomorrow. She'll be a joy. I think so. Um, at the top of the hour, all of that Prince Andrew stuff, the, the Jeffrey Epstein interview. It's the Prince Andrew interview about Jeffrey Epstein and their relationship. But one of the big, absolute car crashes of public relations gone bad. I thought, I thought... Prince Andrew was going to be the a-hole of the weekend. But then this Colin Kaepernick thing came out. Now, Colin Kaepernick famously um, was kneeling on the sidelines, uh, brought a lot of issues to light and intertwined them with the National Football League. And that pissed a lot of people off because other players started picking up his political uh, mantle, I guess, even after he was, you could argue, drummed out of the league or not good enough to sign uh, as a quarterback. But his... uh, his insistence was that the NFL and the 32 owners colluded against him because of his political stance. He sued the NFL. They settled. I got to imagine it was to the tune of 10 or $20 million, whatever it was. He's getting paid all kinds of money by Nike, but he's not playing football. According to the National Football League, there had been several clubs that inquired about him 
had gone through the league and said, hey, do you really have any idea one way or the other? Is Colin Kaepernick ready to play? And what the NFL did was they shoehorned this workout together. We talked about it uh, last week. On Wednesday, we found out that they were going to put together a sort of a showcase workout for one guy in one place, and all of the teams would be invited to attend. A couple problems with it, in that the NFL did not give them a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of warning about this. I think it was Tuesday when they said show up on Saturday. The second thing is, it's a Saturday. Every team plays on Sunday. So if you haven't traveled already to where you're going to go for your away games, you're on your way. And it's very unlikely that a head coach or a general manager or somebody high up in the organization is going to go on a Saturday before their Sunday game to watch somebody work out like this. Plus, the NFL wanted to make sure that they controlled the product. The NFL apparently wanted to make sure that they had their own video people there. In fact, they borrowed them, I believe, from the Atlanta Falcons since that's the facility they were using. And the... NFL would distribute the video of the workout to the different teams, at least those that didn't show up. Now, if you're Colin Kaepernick, first of all, he said yes to just about all of these details, right? He agreed to do it on a Saturday. He agreed to go across the country and do it in Atlanta. He agreed, at least originally, to have these different receivers and other people come in to run the workout. Um including former uh, head coach Hugh Jackson. And then the things started falling apart. Colin Kaepernick didn't want the NFL to control the video of the event. He was afraid that they were going to edit this thing to make it look bad. Even though two dozen of the NFL teams had said they would have representatives there in person with eyes on to watch the whole workout. There was also an issue about the waiver. According to the NFL, they make everybody who goes to one of these workouts, or all the athletes, they make them sign a waiver, which just basically says there's no promise that you're going to get a job. And just because you're participating in the workout doesn't guarantee that you'll be offered employment. This happens, by the way, all the time. Teams do this all the time. They don't do it on a Saturday. They usually do it on a Tuesday. They don't usually do it with one guy, but sometimes they'll bring in one or two guys into individual areas and fly them in to try out for the Chargers or fly them in to try out for the 49ers or the Broncos, whatever. But they do it just specifically at their location where they where they would uh, usually hold training camp or something or their practice facility. So in this waiver, it says also that Kaepernick would hold harmless the NFL. Basically, that he couldn't sue them again for collusion. And he didn't like that. He came up with his own waiver. He wanted to bring his own video team. He wanted to bring in his own receivers, like teammates Eric Reed. There was the all these false narratives around Colin's ability to play this game. Um I was on the San Francisco team that was ranked last in the league in defense um, that led the lead in, league in drop passes. And he still, I think, had top five touchdown interception ratio in NFL history, despite all of that.
Okay, but that's also when he was playing. Don't forget, he was benched for Blaine Gabbard. Don't forget that. Then the video comes out of this. He decides he's going to change the location. He's going to take his workout out of the Falcons practice facility where the whole thing had been set up. Two dozen teams would be represented, and he'd put it an hour away at a high school field. I think maybe eight teams made the trip because the others weren't going to make it in time to see this guy work out. There was no, as far as I could tell, there was no actual agenda to the workout. It was just him throwing a couple of short passes. Still got his fastball, by the way. And a couple of long passes, dropped it on a dime. I mean, clearly the guy can throw the football. He didn't have anybody in his face. He wasn't being chased by 300-pound linemen. He wasn't, you know, there was no pressure on him. But then he wanted to come out, and he wanted to... He wanted to piss off the NFL by saying this. We're waiting for the 32 owners, the 32 teams, Roger Goodell, all of them to stop running. Stop running from the truth. Stop running from the people. Had he gone through that workout on Saturday at the Falcons facility with two dozen teams watching him, had he done that, super likely, in my mind, that somebody signs him to a contract. As a backup, he's not going to be a high-profile starting quarterback anytime soon, barring some sort of injury for whatever team. But listen, he's clearly good at what he does. I don't know if he's in the top 32 quarterbacks in all of the NFL, but he could get a job somewhere. Had he done this? Had he gone through the NFL, jumped through the hoops that the NFL set up? But then he wants to do this. Stephen A. Smith said... I mean, he's been a supporter of Colin Kaepernick for some time. He said because of the way this went down on Saturday, it's clear. Colin Kaepernick does not want to play football. He just wants to be a political figure. Yeah, I, he, that's he's done. He will not play again. I actually thought going into it, there was a chance that he would get picked up. But when he pulled this stuff, uh, it's not going to work. Not going to work. When we come back, Prince Andrew. And perhaps one of the worst public relations nightmares we've ever seen play out in front of us. I'll play for you some of the clips of this guy. And an interview with the woman who did the questioning, the reporter herself, when she said that um, she asked him if he would ever testify under oath. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. I don't know what I don't know, so I kick my shoes off and run. Shannon, KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Shannon's in Mexico City. We're going to try to connect with her sometime during the show today. Chargers, of course, in Mexico City to take on the Kansas City Chiefs tonight on Monday Night Football. So she's there for the sideline reporting. Getting news out of D.C. that the uh, Supreme Court has temporarily blocked the release of President Trump's tax returns. Uh, There's been a fight going on based in uh, New York about whether or not the um, the accounting firm that's been doing his taxes for some time, if they're going to have to turn over those re- those tax returns. And we'll talk more about that when we get into Swamp Watch at, uh, at 1230. The city of Santa Clarita came together last night to memorialize a couple of teenagers who were killed at Saugus High School last week. Thousands, thousands of people filled Central Park for this vigil last night for 15-year-old Gracie Ann Muehlberg and 14-year-old Dominic Blackwell. 
I've told you a couple times, and you can check it out if you want, saugusstrong.org. A bunch of different ways that you can help out, not just the uh, the victims, but the community as a whole. And uh, there are also some great resources on there for people if you have been affected by this. Uh, and I mean that emotionally and not just uh, not just that you knew somebody. But it can be hard to have those conversations with your kids, and there's some good resources on there where to start with all of this. Um, one of the horrific things that happened over the weekend was this interview that was done by Prince Andrew with BBC Newsnight. And it was an, it, first of all, it's rare for the royals to be interviewed like this, even rarer for someone like Prince Andrew to be interviewed. And the, the most rare of all, to be interviewed about his time spent with a pedophile. But Andrew thought it might be a great idea to uh, give an interview and try to clear things up, which was horrific. But, um, hey, it's what he did. British newspapers, social media commentators blasted him over the weekend because it turned out to be basically a defense of his friendship with Jeffrey Epstein. And one of the issues that somebody like Prince Andrew is going to run into is when you do that, when you go on there and say something like, um, uh, I think he, I, the term he used, unbecoming. It was unbecoming of me to stay there. You have so little empathy for the victims of Jeffrey Epstein. Even if you're the guy, even if you are clean as a whistle in all of this, which you're not, but even if you are, you've got to show some amount of empathy for these the victims of this guy. A great line from Charlie Proctor, an editor of a website called the Royal Central. He said, I expected a train wreck in context of this BBC interview that he did. I expected a train wreck. But what I got was a plane crashing into an oil tanker, causing a tsunami, triggering a nuclear explosion level bad. I have no recollection of ever meeting this lady. He's talking about Virginia Roberts Jeffrey. She is a woman who has come out and been one of the most vocal um, accusers of Jeffrey Epstein. She said Jeffrey Epstein forced her to have sex with Prince Andrew 20 years ago, 18 years ago, when she was just 17 years old. And she says Jeffrey Epstein flew around the world on private planes to have sex with powerful men. And that she had encounters with Prince Andrew in London, in New York, and on that private island in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Enter Emily Maitlis. Emily Maitlis is the, rep- Maitlis is the reporter who interviewed Prince Andrew last night. And was grilling him specifically on the details of an encounter in March of 2001 when Virginia says she had dinner with the prince in London. You want to know what he says? You want you know what he says about why that picture that we've all seen now is not him in London? I don't believe it's a picture of me in London because when I go out to when I go out in London, I wear a suit and a tie. That's what I would describe as those are my travelling clothes if I'm going to go, if I'm going overseas. So there's a, there's a, I've got a, plenty of photographs of me dressed in, 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 in those sorts of, that just, sort of kit, but not there. Just to clarify, so you think that photo has been faked? Nobody can prove oh uh, whether or not um, that, it, that photograph has been doctored, but I don't recollect that photograph ever being taken. Okay. So he has a hard time remembering some of the events that Virginia Joffrey can explain very clearly. But what he can explain is 
there's no way I could have been with her at the Tramp nightclub or had sex with her at the house in Belgravia because I was giving my daughter a ride to a pizza party. I'd taken Beatrice to uh, a Pizza Express in Woking for a party at, a, I suppose, sort of four or five in the afternoon. Um, and then because the Duchess was away, we have a simple rule in the, in the, in the family that, 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 that when one's away, the other one's there. I was on terminal leave at the time um, from the, the Royal Navy, so therefore I was at home. Why would you remember that so specifically? Why would you remember a, a Pizza Express birthday and being at home? Because going to Pizza Express in Woking is an unusual thing for me to do. Uh-huh. A very unusual thing for me to do. I've never been... I've only been through Woking a couple of times, um, and I remember it weirdly distinctly. But as soon as somebody reminded me of it, I went, oh, yes, I remember that. Virginia Jeffrey was the one who caused this, this interview. She challenged him to do an interview with somebody. She told reporters in New York, he knows exactly what he's done. You know what he told the BBC? He says, yes, I know exactly what I've done. And the answer is nothing. Now, Prince Andrew talked about the relationship he had with Jeffrey Epstein before he was convicted in Florida. But he had zero defense after he had been convicted in Florida and spent a year in jail. Listen, a cushy, cushy time in jail. But still, when a friend of yours, whether it's an acquaintance or a close friend, gets popped for child trafficking, having sex with underage girls, that may be an indication that it's time to cut off that relationship. Um, When we come back, I'm going to play for you his explanation about how he did finally put an end to his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein in one of the most bizarre versions of, well, it's it's not you, it's me. Why he continues to defend this guy after he was died in prison. After he was, he was died of natural causes, I think is how they put it now. He was died of he natural was died. causes. Yes. Okay. You know, because you can't say he was killed because then that makes it uh, too obvious that someone else did it. He was naturally strangled. He was naturally died. <laughs> That's lovely. Something like that. But this Prince Andrew story is just incredible. It only gets worse for this guy. We'll talk more about this when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. <laughs> Gary and Shannon, KFI AM, 640 Live Everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's Monday, November 18th. At the bottom of the hour, we'll tell you about this uh, weird weird decision by a prosecutor up in San Jose to try to catch a child molester and use his own daughter as bait. Just an, And he's going to be in big trouble for it. Um, we've been telling you about Prince Andrew... Of course, the longtime friend of Jeffrey Epstein and his explanations for, number one, why it is that he stayed friends with Jeffrey Epstein for as long as he did. Did an interview with BBC Newsnight and then was just raked over the coals yesterday for sounding like a completely disconnected, unempathetic idiot. Royals do not give interviews like this. They talk about charitable events and that's all. And the reporter in this case, Emily Maitlis, knew Jeffrey Epstein and Prince Andrew's relationship 
from back to front. I mean, some of the nitty-gritty details, dates, everything, and was able to challenge him on a bunch of stuff. For example, Virginia Jeffrey is the woman who was accused, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, of basically trafficking her. She's the one who says that she was forced to have sex with Prince Andrew several times. And one of the things... One of the things that he said last night was pretty spectacular. Virginia Jeffrey said that she remembers him because he was gross and he was a profuse sweater. He said, couldn't have been me. She was very specific about that night. Mm -hmm. She described dancing with you and you profusely sweating. And that she yeah. went on to have good idea to laugh in the bar, interview. There's, possibly a, there's a slight problem with 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 with, with the sweating um, because uh, I, I have a peculiar medical condition, which is that I don't sweat um, or I didn't sweat at the time, and that was oh, actually yes, I didn't sweat at the time because I um, ha- had suffered what I would describe as an overdose of adrenaline in the Falklands War when I was shot at. Uh, and I simply, it, it, was, it, was, it was almost impossible for me to, to, to sweat. And it's only because I have done a number of things in the recent past that I'm starting to be able to do that again. So I'm afraid to say that, 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 that there's a medical condition that says that I didn't do it. I want, I want to play for you that last part again. Listen, the, the human body is an amazing thing. I suppose an overdose of adrenaline is a possibility that burns out your sweat glands or whatever cockamamie idea he was saying but then he's been working through it and it's only because i have done a number of things in the recent past that i'm starting to be able to do that again so i'm afraid to say that that that, that there's a medical condition that says that i didn't do it and then as soon as he says that twitter is filled up with pictures of him in and around london and around the world sweating just sweating he continues to stand by this. I have no recollection of ever meeting this lady. And I wonder if he would be able to keep that up if he were to be deposed. I mean, if he were to come over to the United States and under oath answer questions from prosecutors about all of this. Emily Maitlis, the reporter, asked about that. I did put to him, I asked him if he'd be willing um, to answer questions under oath. And he said... He'd be willing to do what ed- anyone else should do. He would take, I think his words were very serious, legal advice on it. And it wasn't something he'd avoid if he had to do it. All right. Here's the key to all of this. The last time they met, allegedly, was a four-day long interlude between the two of these men, Prince Andrew and Jeffrey Epstein, where Prince Andrew knew that at that point, he'd already been a convicted sex offender. He'd already done jail. He'd already had these allegations made against him. And he took four days to, finger quotes, break up with him. You said you went to break up the relationship, and yet you stayed at that New York mansion several days. I'm wondering how long... But I was doing a number of other things while I was there. But you were staying at the house of a convicted sex offender. It was a convenient place to stay. There is, I mean, I mean, I've gone through this in my mind so many times. At the end of the day, um, uh, uh, with the benefit of all the hindsight that one can have, um, it was definitely the wrong thing to do. 
Um, but at the time, I felt it was the, it was the honourable and right thing to do. I had to go and see him. And I had stay to with him and stay in the house. I could easily have gone and stayed somewhere else, but the, but sheer convenience of, of of being able to get a hold of the man is was was. I mean, he's, he was he was in and out all over the place. So, getting him in what? one place for. A, a, a period of time to actually have a, a, a long enough conversation to say, look, these are the reasons why I'm not going to. And that happened on the walk. <laughs> I don't understand. The stupid mental gymnastics that that a-hole went through to explain why it was more convenient to stay in the home of a convicted sex offender just so you could tell him to F off. That took less than a second for me to say. I don't know why it would have taken him four days. Ugh, sick. Just absolutely sick. When we come back, speaking of sick, a prosecutor in Santa Clara County used his own 13-year-old daughter to try to lure a child molester. It's time to pack it up and go home, I think. This, these these people. Gary and Shannon will Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. On Twitter, at Gary and Shannon. We have a link up there for saugusstrong.org. You can go through there and uh, help out the community in Santa Clarita and Saugus High School, uh, High School specifically. We, uh, in the 1230 segment, always get into Swamp Watch, talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C. Of course, eight witnesses are expected to be called for the House uh, impeachment inquiry hearings coming up this week, starting tomorrow. We'll talk about that. The Supreme Court decision, at least a temporary decision on President Trump's taxes. And Obama, President Obama has a warning for the people who are running for president on the Democrat side. Uh, Pretty interesting. He's saying... Hey, let's pull it back a little bit, shall we, Bernie, Liz? We'll talk about all of that coming up at 1230. This is the weirdest story I think I've I've seen. Uh, and being the father of a teenage girl, I do not understand. I do not understand how this happens. In Santa Clara County, a guy works in the prosecutor's office, works in the DA's office, and he's got a 13-year-old daughter. The 13-year-old daughter, on October 8th, tells a doctor that she had been sexually assaulted. Doctor is a mandated reporter. Doctor tells the police. Police come in, and they do an investigation. She gives the accounts of three instances between August and October in which the same guy, an older guy, approaches her while she's walking her dog on a trail and touches her sexually. So in the beginning of November, dad, dad goes, listen, this part I get. Dad goes out, looks for the guy. I understand that. Yes, I get it. He goes out and looks for the guy, finds a man on that dog walking trail that resembles her description of the suspect, sort of a darker skinned guy, but super white hair, balding, the track suit that he was wearing. 
Dad takes a picture, shows it to his daughter. She says, that looks exactly like the guy that touched me. A few days later, mom sees a man matching the suspect description. Mom follows him home to his house a couple of blocks off the trail. She gives the address to the police so that they can do surveillance. And then on November 11th, the prosecutor contacted police saying he had a video of the suspect wearing the same tracksuit, walking with his arm around the waist of his 13-year-old daughter, the prosecutor's daughter. Well, hold on a second. Did you, did you catch that? Dad says to the police, I have video of a child molester molesting my child. What he had done was he convinced his 13-year-old daughter to go back out to the trail to act as bait for this guy so that dad could have video evidence of what happened. After recording that video of this old guy interacting with his reminder, 13-year-old daughter, he gave the video to the police. The next day, they arrest a 76-year-old guy named Ali Lajmiri, arrested, charged with lewd and lascivious acts with a child under 14, false imprisonment. Dad, the prosecutor, convinced his 13-year-old girl to walk back and forth on this trail while they would stay in contact with earbuds and cell phones. The police detective who wrote this up in the case said they had already done this several times and that dad directed his 13-year-old daughter to allow the old guy to touch her if she encountered him. But, but... Only on the arm or the head or something like that. If it was in a no-no zone, she should move away. He instructed the daughter to let the old guy identify and make contact. And if she cannot handle things, she could move away anytime she felt uncomfortable. And he instructed the girl to walk back and forth on this designated route. Don't interact with anyone for very long. This doesn't automatically kill the case. They said they don't believe that the prosecutor's actions would significantly compromise the case against Mr. Lajmiri. You can't really say it was entrapment because there's no evidence that the suspect was coerced into performing any criminal acts in this case. But the circumstances under which the videotape was made might result in the footage that was recorded by the prosecutor not being entered into evidence. Now, what exactly was caught on the video? According to the prosecutor, you could see the guy walking with the girl with his arm around her and his hand on her waist. Dad is hiding in the bushes or wherever the hell he was watching all of this. And it shows the old guy sitting with the girl on a nearby bench. She tries to get up and he pulls her back down after she tries to get up and leave. And then he leans his head in towards her. The girl says that was about the time when she thought he was leaning in for a kiss on her mouth. And she said if she felt as if she was not allowed to leave at that point. Eventually, he does kiss her in this video on the top of her head. And allows her to leave and she walks away. But 
the old guy gets up off the bench and follows her. Prosecutor said that he followed the man and his daughter as this happened, but he lost sight of them on two two occasions. If you're a dad and you have a teenage girl and some old gropey McHandy pants is going after your daughter, how do you have the self-control to stay in the bushes or wherever the hell you are and not tear this guy limb from limb? I don't understand that. And how you would convince your daughter that this is the best thing to put her in harm's way like this? Do I need to remind you? He followed the old guy, but he lost sight of the two of them on two occasions. Old guy says he just kissed her hand and her head. Old guy says any contact with her no-no zones was totally accidental. And he said he was just trying to show affection as a fatherly figure. In that case, it would be a grandfatherly figure. But he also admitted that he was having trouble remembering the interactions because of his Alzheimer's. This prosecutor, the guy who did this, yeah, he's going to get a child molester to go away to jail for some time. But why? I would rather you put him in the hospital. You don't think you'd have a defense? You don't think you'd be able to say I was overcome with emotion and that's why I handed this guy his own ass on a plate? I don't get that. You run the risk of victimizing your own daughter again because you're afraid to walk up and pop this guy in the nose. Okay. We'll come back. Gary and Channel will continue in just a moment. Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Bottom of next hour, we get into Swamp Watch. We have a lot to talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C. Also on the campaign trail, saw the story that Pete Buttigieg is up nine points in Iowa. Or I should say he's got a nine-point lead over uh, other candidates in Iowa. So we'll talk about that. There was a shooting at a parking lot in Walmart in Duncan, Oklahoma today. Three people were killed. One of them said to be the shooter. I guess two people killed in a parking lot, or in a car, I should say, in the parking lot. The other guy was found just outside the car. And the CEO of PG&E, Bill Johnson, sitting down for a grilling today in front of uh, lawmakers in Sacramento, scheduled to testify during a, um, a legislative oversight hearing today. Chargers are in Mexico tonight. That's why Shannon's not here. She's in Mexico City for the uh, Chargers hosting the Kansas City Chiefs for Monday Night Football. 515 is when you'll hear first kick here uh, on first kick. Is that that's I just combined a couple of different uh, opening movements. Kickoff and first pitch. Hey, uh, the ninth annual Postathon is coming up on Friday, December 6th. We are going to be broadcasting live all day from Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, collecting money and pasta and sauce. 
for Katarina's Club, of course, Chef Bruno's charity that feeds 25,000 kids every week in Southern California. All of us here on KFI have uh, have been involved with this for years now. And uh, this is going to be our annual attempt to make sure that we keep those uh, keep that charity running. Friday, December 6th is the day. 100% of all of your donations go directly to Katarina's Club, whether it's money, pasta, sauce, whatever. In fact, to make it easy on you this year, you can go to any Smart and Final store in California, Nevada, and Arizona, any one of them, and ask about that $10 KFI Pasta-thon donation featuring Barilla Pasta and Sauce, donated by our friends at Barilla and Smart and Final Products, and they'll add 10 bucks to your bill. So you get a code for a chance to win a 13-day trip for two to Italy, courtesy of Trafalgar, the world's leading guided vacation company. As we've done every year as well, each of our individual shows is going to uh, auction off some goodie or a couple of goodies that you can get. And uh, this year, just like we did last year, we are at least planning on running a holiday radio drama once again and we're going to be doing it's a wonderful life so last year we did a christmas carol and we auctioned off a speaking role in it we're probably going to do the same thing this year as we get closer to december 6th we'll of course bring it to you bring you more information and have a, a better idea of exactly how that's going to go but do i get a part in it this year we'll see you, you play your cards right We'll see what we you know can he do totally just blew me off and left me completely out of it last year <laughs> no that's not no, that's completely true. It is totally true. true. You're right. It's 100% <laughs> true. Uh, but I'm trying to, as I was going through the script for It's a Wonderful Life, I'm trying to figure out exactly how how we're going to do it. Uh, may take some magic. Like Ooh, holiday magic. magic. Yes. So, Are you going to be George? No. You're not going to be George Bailey? No, I'm going to be Gary Bailey. Oh. Can I change the name or do I... Well, I mean, last, I mean, when we did a Christmas carol, Shannon was Shannon Scrooge. So who was, was there Tiny Tim or was it Tiny Tim? Yeah, Mike? we had a Tiny Tim. It was a turtle. Oh, that's right. It was, t- <laughs> I've forgotten. Well, well, I blocked it out because I wasn't included. You can always go back and listen to the podcast. We put oh, the whole good. There was a great uh, <laughs> Yeah, it sure was. Uh, anyway, more information about our Pastathon coming up Friday, December 6th. All of our drop-off locations around Southern California or a way that you can donate online. All of it at Pastathon.com. All right, we come back. We're going to do all of our trending stories, talk about what it is that's uh, trending the most on social media right now. And then in the 1 o'clock hour, a story about a coach, a baseball coach, told a kid to slide into third. And now... That kid's family is suing the coach. It's a long story. It's pretty interesting as well. We'll talk about that in the 1 o'clock hour. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Bottom of this hour, we'll jump into Swamp Watch. A lot of stuff going on in Washington, D.C. Ahead of what we expect will be eight impeachment inquiry witnesses in front of the Intelligence Committee this week. 
We'll talk about that. We'll talk about who it is that's going to be on there. Some news from the campaign trail. Pete Buttigieg continues to surge in Iowa. We'll talk about that. And also, word from the president, uh, from President Obama, about what Democrats need to be aware of, be, be wary of, as they continue their campaign. Meantime, there's a bunch of other stuff going on. What's going on? Time for What's Happening. As the Santa Clarita Valley continues to deal with the shooting at Saugus High School from Thursday, that high school will stay closed for two weeks. Got an announcement from the uh, superintendent over the weekend. It was basically his uh, phone message to all the parents in the district that just said that all of the other schools would reopen today, that you would see a very clear, very high-profile law enforcement presence. And not only did uh, the sheriff's deputies show up in uniform super early this morning for all of those kids who have those early classes, but administrators were out to greet the students at high schools and junior highs throughout the Santa Clarita Valley. Now, Saugus High School itself is, uh, I think today it was just teachers and staff. Tomorrow they're going to reopen the school for a couple of hours for students to come and pick up anything that they left on Thursday when they ran out in a panic. And basically, they're going to keep the school closed down until December 2nd, which is uh, will be the first Monday after the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, they said that emotional support would be offered in the form of counseling and other activities. And I'll say it again. Uh, we have up on our social media a link to the Saugus Strong website, saugusstrong.org, that not only has information about how it is that you can donate to the victims' families, uh, how you can Keep an eye on how the school is doing, but also a way for you to different resources for counseling services uh, that you can call if you need help talking to your kids or if your kids need someone to talk to, etc. Shooting in Fresno last night, uh, at least two of the victims shot in this uh, Fresno backyard were apparently famous singers in the Hmong community, according to Mong Talk, an online news service. Four of men were killed, six others wounded late last night. Somebody snuck into the backyard party where a bunch of people had gathered to watch the football game. Um, the news conference that came out just about an hour ago, they don't have a whole lot of leads and they haven't really said much, but that they do believe clearly that this was a targeted attack. And we know that there's a pretty heavy gang activity in Fresno, so that may be a connection as well. Uh, and then finally, the other shooting, I'll no more shootings after this, I promise. Uh, in Duncan, Oklahoma, three people killed, including a suspect. A handgun found at the scene. A man and a woman were found dead inside a car. The man, outs- uh, another man outside the car, probably a love triangle of some relationship, something. But no, no customers, no employees or anything. It just happened to be in a Walmart parking lot there in Duncan, Oklahoma. Hey, Chick-fil-A is making headlines. Chick-fil-A says there were a couple of organizations that uh, that are opposed to same-sex marriage that they had been giving money to but no longer will. They came under fire from different activists because they donated millions of dollars to the Salvation Army and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And Chick-fil-A says we made multi-year commitments to both organizations and we fulfilled those obligations in 2018. So apparently some sort of a contractual deal where they say, you know, we will officially support you for this long and then they're not renewing their contract. And then finally, also trending today, 
A mayor in Indiana, central mayor, uh, central Indiana mayor arrested by the FBI. Because of an ongoing federal investigation that's resulted in the former building commissioner pleading guilty to money laundering and wire fraud. Muncie, Indiana, Mayor Dennis Tyler arrested at his home early this morning and taken into custody by FBI agents. He's been taken into the U.S. Attorney's Office in Indianapolis, and then they will probably be charging him. They haven't said exactly with what, but he's a Democrat. He's been mayor for eight years, serving in the Indiana House, uh, did not seek re-election this year. Don't know yet if he's got a lawyer or not. The, the city's building commissioner in Muncie, Indiana, was steering work to companies that he owned and then billing the city for more than $376,000 for demolition work that was either never done or simply done at inflated prices. Those are our stories that are trending. Hell, the, uh, the L.A. Auto Show is back this week, November 22nd, starting this weekend to December 1st, all over Thanksgiving week. Open on Thanksgiving Day as well at the L.A. Convention Center in downtown Los Angeles. A thousand vehicles, all the latest cars, trucks, SUVs, many new electric vehicles, concept vehicles, exotic vehicles, and 65 vehicle debuts. You can explore the amazing selection of vehicles and activations. You enjoy the show, have some fun, take a free test drive, enjoy with the family, friends, colleagues, or by yourself because you're a big fat loner. Plus, you can comparison shop with a huge variety uh, within a huge variety of cars without any sort of sales pressure. So, we actually have four packs of tickets to the LA Auto Show. We want to give one away right now. So, one eight hundred five two zero one KFI eight hundred five two zero one five three four. Yeah, it's time to call. Come on, and it's time to call. Let's call. Yeah. You pick up a four pack of tickets. Caller number six going to win a four pack of tickets to the LA Auto Show November second through December first. We come back. All about football. Oh, I want to tell you about that football game. As I told you, um, West Ranch High School up in the Santa Clarita Valley played their game on Friday night in honor of, uh, and of course with heavy hearts because of, Saugus High School and the shooting thereof. I made the mistake of leaving the game early. I'll tell you why. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM six forty live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's Monday, November eighteenth. Monday night football coming up. Chargers hosting the Kansas City Chiefs, but down in Mexico City tonight. That's where Shannon is. Check in with her in a moment. So Friday, I posted uh, at Gary and Shannon on our social media some pictures from high school football because. Santa Clarita Valley kind of needed something to take its mind off of uh, the horrific events of Thursday. And while all of the schools had the day off on Friday, they still played their CIF Southern Section football game. West Ranch Wildcats did. And they were hosting Woodrow Wilson of Long Beach. And uh, my wife and I went, my daughter went, and there were, I mean, there were thousands of people in the stands. Because everybody from all of the different high schools had been invited, knowing that uh, all of the gate was going to go to Saugus. And uh, both 
West Ranch, which was technically the home team, and Woodrow Wilson of Long Beach agreed that they would all of the money that was going to come in from the gate would be donated to Saugus. They had buckets around the around the entrance gates that you could donate money as well. Everybody was wearing blue. There were all kinds of Saugus students that were there, sweatshirts, all of the signs, even though it was a West Ranch football game, all of the signs said Saugus strong and we love Saugus. And uh, at halftime, I mean, regardless of the game itself, which was an incredible game, at least the parts that I missed, outside of the uh, the game itself, at halftime, they didn't do anything at first. At halftime, there was no marching band in the middle. There was no announcements. There was no music. There was nothing. Except the release of five balloons. There were three blue balloons to commemorate the three kids who were injured and two white balloons for those two students who were killed. And they released those five balloons at halftime and said nothing. And when you see the balloons come up, it was kind of an almost an uneventful. Well, that was there wasn't much, they didn't did say they say anything. I didn't hear anything. And in the few minutes it took for those balloons to float up over the football field, out to the south end zone, over the fence, and disappear into the night sky. Everybody in that place, everybody sat silent knowing exactly what those balloons were meant to symbolize. Now, the football game itself was a totally different story. West Ranch comes out. They're getting stomped by Long Beach Wilson. The the West Ranch trailed uh, 35-21 at halftime, and it was uh, worse than that. There was three touchdown deficits at certain times. And after the third quarter, my wife and I said, you know what? This is not going to go very well, so let's go get something to eat. And we went to the restaurant. Well, as we were walking out of the park, we could hear the crowd go nuts because West Ranch scored on a kickoff return for a touchdown. And then they got another touchdown. And by the time we got to the restaurant, they had pulled within one touchdown. My daughter is texting us the updates on the score, and she knows just enough about football to be very confusing when it comes to updating the score, not knowing it's also important to tell us how much time is left. Finally, West Ranch, down by one, having scored a touchdown, waiting for the point after. It's 56 to 55, and they have to decide. Do they just do the point after, or they go for two and go for the win? About a minute 20 left. They go for two. They convert. And they walk away the winners 57 to 56 on Friday night at a time when everybody wanted some sort of good news. And that was a pretty amazing, pretty amazing way for them to move on. Now they have to take on, I think it's Temecula next weekend, which is going to be a tough one as well. If you play along with Gas Fantasy 4 play, we absolutely thank you for that. Although we only had. One winner. I think it was Chargers Girl picked all four games correctly on Twitter. Um, oh, uh, Blake, I didn't even I didn't realize that. I went 4-0, too. 
Listen, you seem to realize it when I said this morning, <laughs> hey, Gary, I think you got all four right. And you go, I'm not saying anything. I'm just going to. Yeah, you picked three. Shannon's dad and Nick both picked two games correct. So I have now pulled into a share of the lead with Nick. I don't understand how he's doing that. I just got to catch him. I really, honestly, my pride doesn't need to catch you. It just needs to catch him. Just Nick. Just Nick. If I can catch Nick, I'm okay. But Oh, Nick's back. Oh, hi. How uh, am I winning, by the way? That's what I just You asked. don't even know when you win. I do, too. I know. I know. Listen, there's a reason why I'm winning, all right? Is it because you care less? No, I'm deeply invested in this. Uh, you know what he said this morning? More oh, man, I didn't. Life. How many minutes of football did you watch yesterday? I watched the Rams game last night. More than I watched. All right. He said, but he I said didn't to pick me, them. I walked in this morning. I didn't do good. I didn't pick the Ravens. You definitely picked the Ravens. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well. No, I said I didn't pick the Rams. Right? Uh, Listen. They are different teams. You know. You're, this is the winner talking. Right? On, on Friday, we'll do this again where we pick, the, uh, pick four games from the NFL weekend, and you get to decide if you can pick who's going to be the winner of all four of those. Uh, when we come back, the impeachment inquiry hearings are coming into a second week. Tomorrow is when we'll see the first of what we believe are going to be eight witnesses in front of the Intelligence Committee. And as De La Coutera is going to join us from Capitol Hill, we'll talk more about exactly what's going on and, and what uh, special invitation Nancy Pelosi leveled to the president and his response also. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. In the 1 o'clock hour, story out of New Jersey, civil docket number L00062915. one year old uh, junior varsity baseball coach tells a kid to slide into third. And then get sued for it. Explain the whole thing. Um, we'll also, a little bit later in the show, be talking with Jason Nathanson about some big, fun entertainment stories like that huge matchup on Jeopardy that's coming up. And no, I'm not allowed to watch it. Um, Wait, wa- why aren't you allowed to watch it? Because uh, uh, my wife says it makes me old. Um, <laughs> we're not ready for that yet, is the way she says it. Can you so, watch Wheel of Fortune? I can, okay. but I don't. Okay. One I'm not as excited about. It's not smart enough for you? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Something like that. Right. Uh, my daughter went back to school today, and I mentioned earlier that she was greeted by five sheriff's deputies and the entire administration out in front of school so that kids feel comfortable going back to class because there's going to be some leftover trepidation about the shooting at Saugus High School. Uh, and I texted her to ask how it went. She's home for home already and she said that they spent all of their lit class talking about what happened in the shooting 
which led them to talking about success in school and how that put stress on us, which led us to talking about how they're going to take away gold robes. I guess it's a commemoration of people who score higher GPAs or something like that at graduation. Which led to her saying that she worked her ass off for four years of high school and she wants people to know that, which led to a girl calling me insecure because I need validation apparently. And yes, I said ass in front of my entire class and I don't care because I'm kind of heated right now. Welcome to my world. It's time for Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Here we go into week two of our impeachment inquiry hearings. Uh, First witness expected to uh, take the witness stand before the Intelligence Committee tomorrow. And as De La Coutera has been joining us to help weed through some of the testimony that we've seen over the course of the last week. And as thanks for taking time for us again today. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, who who are we looking at tomorrow in terms of our first witness, the first of eight this week? Sure. So tomorrow we have four. We have Lieutenant Colonel Vidman, who is a top Ukraine expert on the National Security Council. He had previous, previously testified that Sondland had said, so EU Ambassador Gordon Sondland had said that acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney had told him that he wanted investigations into President Trump's political opponents. We'll also hear from Jennifer Williams. She is a senior advisor to Mike Pence, who testified that uh, she thought she was actually on that phone call between President Trump and the president of Ukraine, during which President Trump pushed for these investigations into his political opponents. Uh, She testified that she felt that phone call was inappropriate and unusual and that she felt it was politically motivated. And then we'll also hear from Kurt Volker. He is the former special envoy for for Ukraine. And Tim Morrison, who is the top National Security Council advisor on Russia and Europe. He was told by Ambassador uh, Gordon Salman that the military aid to Ukraine was directly tied to Ukraine announcing investigations into the Biden family. And we should point out that uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, Jennifer Williams, and Tim Morrison we're all on that phone call between President Trump and uh, the president of Ukraine. Uh, so so and, uh, tomorrow, I think uh, House Democrats are going to be really uh, pushing to know what how they felt about that phone call. They're probably going to be trying to paint a picture of an inappropriate phone call. Yeah, that that's a step in the right direction, I suppose, for Democrats, because the three witnesses that we saw last week were all reporting second and third hand information. These are at least people who were listening in on the call I think the issue that they're going to have, though, is just because these the people who listened in were uncomfortable about it doesn't necessarily mean it rises to the level of impeachment. How can they turn those uh, witnesses feelings into articles of impeachment? Right. And that's one of the arguments that Republicans have been making. So one was what we heard last week, that a lot of this was hearsay, that witnesses who were testifying did not have direct knowledge of uh, what was really going on, had no direct contact with President Trump, like you like you mentioned. So that was one of the arguments we heard last week. That argument becomes much harder to make this week since we are going to be hearing from witnesses who were actually on that phone call. But then you're right. Another argument we're hearing from Republicans is that uh, and that we're likely to hear again this week is that these witnesses testifying are talking about their 
their feelings and how they felt about the phone call. But it will help Democrats paint this picture of something that career of a phone call that career officials felt was inappropriate, was politically motivated. And then from there, Democrats will have to kind of narrow their focus. And we, we've seen them do that in recent recent weeks. So they're going to really be trying to show that what happened here was an abuse of power uh, and that we're starting to, to hear some a number of keywords being floated. But bribery is the latest one. Democrats narrowing their uh, focus when it comes to impeachment and, and the charges they are likely to bring against the president. They have now been talking about bribery that is listed in the Constitution as an impeachable offense. And they're also talking about obstruction. Uh, that was something we heard as well. So that is likely to be a second article of impeachment. We'll, we'll have to see, but they are they are going to have to, um, like you said, take it from just this was inappropriate to this is actually impeachable. Uh, Nancy Pelosi suggested that the president would be welcome if he wanted to appear before investigators. Um, what? Uh, how in the world is that? Is she crazy or is that an actual possibility? <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he seems to be open to it. So he's responded saying that he uh, is refusing to, he doesn't want to give this, um, you know, what he calls a hoax, any kind of credibility, um, but that he was thinking about it and that he could be open to it, though many here in D.C. Are, are skeptical and say, you know, you look at what happened with uh, the Mueller investigation and how long it took for him to cooperate with that. And then even when he did cooperate, it was just uh, him answering questions in writing. And many of those answers uh, revolved around, I don't recall, I don't recall, I don't recall. So many skeptical that if the president does cooperate, it, it, it'll be um, very, it probably won't be very helpful. Um, and this is all the more interesting because we're actually finding out today that the House uh, is investigating whether President Trump lied to Robert Mueller in his written responses back then. So just a, an interesting turn of events there. All right. And as I have a feeling, we will speak again this week. <laughs> I'm sure we will. All right. Thank you. And as De La Cutera there from Capitol Hill with the latest on what's going on again, the first of these eight witnesses this week expected tomorrow before the House Intelligence Committee. All right. A, a bunch to get to uh, still in Swamp Watch, including what it is the Supreme Court has temporarily blocked when it comes to the uh, financial records of the president. That's coming up in just a couple of seconds. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a bit. But if you close your eyes, does it KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Some of the stories that we have uh, followed over the course of today. Told you about that shooting in Fresno. Turns out that uh, four people were killed in a backyard shooting in Fresno last night. And at least two of them, apparently pretty popular singers in the Hmong community. 35 people are gathered to watch a football game in this backyard. Police said all the victims were Asian men ranging in age from 25 to 35. They do not have anybody in custody for that. Chargers in Mexico City tonight to host the Kansas City Chiefs. Kick off at 515 right here on KFI. And that's where you will hear Shannon. Tomorrow should be fun. She should be, she should be home roughly 430 in the morning. So we'll see how that goes when she uh, she rolls in for our show tomorrow. Punchy Shannon's fun. Punchy Shannon can be quite entertaining. Especially in the commercial breaks when she knows that she can say the F word with impunity. Hey. Um, she, she knows that. There is a, a story just in terms of the impeachment inquiry. There was a story that the AP ran with yesterday that said that President Zelensky of Ukraine was 
feeling pressure from the Trump administration to investigate the Bidens before the July 25th phone call. Now, this is different from what Zelensky himself had said in person in the White House, sitting next to the president. But Associated Press uh, used two sources here and said that in early May, staff at the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine were briefed on a meeting that Zelensky held in which he was looking for advice on how to navigate the position that he was in, that he felt like he was being pressured to investigate the Bidens, but he did not want to have any sort of impact on the 2020 election. And that Zelensky hid behind an explanation that he wanted to have a political meeting about energy, not political problems with the White House. So that's uh, that's how the AP is reporting it. Uh, the Supreme Court today has issued a temporary stay of an appeals court ruling that would have granted House Democrats access to President Trump's financial records. Uh, Trump's lawyers had appealed the ruling, which was set to go into effect on Wednesday. The subpoena from the House Oversight and Reform Committee will be unenforceable while the White House, uh, sorry, while the Supreme Court decides whether or not to take up this case. The Oversight Reform Committee is looking for eight years of the president's financial records from his accounting firm. And according to the lawyers for President Trump, they have absolutely no reason, no legitimate reason for looking into the documents other than to see if they can find something that would potentially embarrass the president. So House Democrats say they will file a response to the Trump motion by the end of this week. President Obama's making news in a uh, in a discussion at the Obama Foundation summit held at the Illinois Institute of Technology back in October. President Obama explained the world is more complicated than people realize. And this is a guy who sat behind the desk for eight years, right? And he is saying, there's a lot more to it than you can see. And if you're politically active in the United States of America, you need to be practical if you want to be effective. And he said back then, the idea of purity and you're never compromised and you're always politically woke and all that stuff, you should get over that very quickly. I guess uh, this week he also facing a new wave of criticism because on Friday he warned the presidential hopefuls in the Democratic Party to pay attention to what the voters think. Not what you think necessarily as a candidate, but what the voters think. He uh, said this to a gathering of Democratic donors, and he said most of them don't want to tear down the system, that is the voters. Most of them don't want to tear down the system And that many Democrats just don't want to see crazy stuff. Well, members of the Democratic Party, as we've seen it go more progressive. Now latched on to the hashtag too far left. For example, Peter Dow one time worked for uh, Hillary Clinton. He was an advisor for her. He wrote, I'm too far left because I want kids to be safe in school. I'm hashtag too far left because I want people to live in dignity. I'm hashtag too far left because I seek justice and equality. Elon Omar picked up on this as well. John Cryer weighed in on all of this, suggesting that perhaps the president doesn't know what he's talking about. The president realizes if you're going to beat Donald Trump, you cannot talk crazy. You can't just say you want to tear down the system and Democrats just don't want to see crazy stuff. That's why, for example, somebody like Pete Buttigieg is up nine points, uh, leads by nine points, I should say, in Iowa right now. There was a Des Moines Register CNN poll conducted by Selzer and Company 
that found that Pete Buttigieg, this is among likely caucus goers in Iowa, so the politically motivated people, Buttigieg has the support of 25% of likely Iowa caucus goers. That's up 16 points from where he was just a month and a half ago. He is ahead of Elizabeth Warren in that poll, Vice President Joe Biden in that poll, Bernie Sanders in that poll, by much more than the margin of error. So what, I mean, what happens if Pete Buttigieg wins Iowa? Buttigieg! Buttigieg! And in fact, if you look at the Real Clear Politics average right now, if you average every Iowa poll that was conducted since the last debate, October 15th, if you average those polls, he is in a four-way tie, basically. Or I should say he's a four-way pileup. I mean, he's technically behind Elizabeth Warren, but the momentum right now in the last couple of weeks, Wednesday is going to be a big night. Wednesday is the next debate, and I know that nobody's going to watch it, but... I'm watching it. Well, it's going to be... This is his opportunity to see if he can cash in on some of this momentum and use his, uh, you know, somewhat moderate ideas, at least moderate compared to Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Does he move to center stage? No, because it was just one poll that showed him way ahead, right? Um, He won't be in the middle, but he will be in the middle four. How's that? Okay. Uh, because you're going to have Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden right there back next to each other. And then on either, either side of them, Bernie Sanders and, and uh, Pete Buttigieg, which means that he's going to get more time perhaps to answer a bunch of questions. So that uh, is pretty crazy, pretty, pretty amazing in terms of the change in just six weeks. It's not over. We still got a long time. You know, we still got 85 days or whatever it is to uh, to the Iowa caucuses, but uh, it's starting to get into that heat zone where once you start getting some of this momentum, it's either uh, easier to completely fall off the map. I'm looking at you, Cory Booker, or maybe ride some of this into uh, some higher poll numbers when you get into Iowa. All right, and we come back. Story about this coach. All you got to do, buddy, all you got to do is slide into third. Ball's coming. But the coach gets sued for telling his player to slide into third. Tell you all about that story when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. At 1.30, Jason Nathanson's going to join us from over the hill there in Hollywood. Talk about um, primetime special that's starting up in January, the Jeopardy Tournament of Tournament of Champions. Champions, if that makes any sense. Ken Jennings, Brad Rutter, James Holzhauer. The three nerdiest dudes in the world are going to face off in a uh, in a battle of wits and daily doubles. Nathan's is going to talk to us about that. The impeachment inquiry hearings entering a second week. Tomorrow we're going to see the first of eight witnesses this week to testify about the president's dealings with Ukraine. Oh, by the way, Nancy Pelosi invited the president to testify. He said, hey, watch what you ask for, nervous Nancy. I might be, uh, might be down to that, down for that, so... Uh, Chargers are Mexico City to host the Kansas City Chiefs. That's where Shannon is tonight. Uh, we'll see her, hear her coming up a couple of hours. Kickoff at about 5.15.
city of Santa Clarita, thousands of people showed up last night for that vigil for 15-year-old Gracie Ann Muehlberg and 14-year-old Dominic Blackwell, the two students who were killed at that shooting at Saugus High School last Thursday morning. Thousands, thousands of people were there last night at Central Park. And uh, I told you before, and we'll leave the links up on uh, our social media, if you want to help the families of the victims or the Saugus community in general, you can go to saugusstrong.org. And there's a bunch of information up there. I have coached my kids a handful of times in different sports, whether it was uh, AYSO soccer, Little League baseball, volleyball, whatever. And as a parent now, you are perhaps always thinking about the potential for injury, especially, I mean, your own kid, duh, but the idea that you would run another kid so hard that they barfed or that they got into an accident or they bonked their head or whatever it is. It's something that you think about when you're coaching kids in athletics. There is a former high school baseball coach in New Jersey who is being sued by a former player on his JV baseball team. April 4th, 2012. The coach, John Souk, is 23 years old, just about to turn 24. But he's, 20, he's 23 years old. He's barely out of college. And he was supposed to be an assistant coach on this JV team. The head coach eventually quit. He's had a few weeks with these guys. And they're playing in basically their, I think it's their second game of the season. First game of the season. The Bound Brook Crusaders took on the Gill St. Bernard Knights that afternoon. April 4th, 2012. Jake Messer. Jake Messer is a kid who's pretty good. Basically the, the best player on the team. And they're losing. Top of the second inning, Messer batting for the second time, laced a line drive over the left fielder's head. I'm sorry, they're they're winning 6-0. And two-run score. Jake is rounding second, heading for third, trying to stretch a double into a triple. Throw is coming into third base. And the coach tells Jake to slide. Whoever wrote this up for NewJersey.com said, a sickening sound echoed across the diamond as Jake hit the ground pop and this kid screamed out in agony coach runs to his side so does jake's dad who happened to be keeping score in the dugout they knew it was bad the ankle looked bad they had to call an ambulance this freshman literally two innings into his high school career never played baseball again Jake is now a 22-year-old Rutgers student. Second day of the trial, where he's suing his former coach, he said, I felt bad for my parents. They would never be able to see me play. Well, hold on a second. It's not just that he couldn't play baseball. This was a devastating injury. This shredded the inside of this guy's ankle. He went through three surgeries to the point where the doctor said, It's not getting better. 
we may have to take it. Amputation was a possible outcome. A specialist for the, from the Hospital for Special Surgery in Manhattan found post-traumatic arthritis, signs of necrosis, the bone was dying. Two more surgeries, including one to inject stem cells into the ankle tissue. He was fit with an external fixator, a stabilizing frame to keep the bones properly positioned. It eventually did improve. But Jake couldn't do any high-impact activities. That included something as simple as jogging. And when it comes time for the doctor to testify, he gets rid of all of the doctorese and the medical terminology and simply says he will never recover fully. Physically, emotionally, he had frequent bouts of depression, a pair of panic attacks, one that sent him from a family party on Christmas Eve to the emergency room. His lawyer says this injury, this ankle injury from sliding into third base as a freshman in high school is something he has to live with every minute, every hour, every day of his life. But what if you're the coach? You're a 23-year-old kid. You do what you're supposed to do, which is the play is coming into third. The runner is approaching third. You've got to tell him to get down. An excerpt from the deposition. By the way, Coach didn't know he was being sued until three years later. When a representative for the insurance company that represents the school district said to him, hey, don't worry, this thing will probably never go to court. We'll settle out. Almost four years after the injury, The coach, John Souk, was questioned by an attorney in a deposition. Question, you did signal for him to slide to third base, correct? Answer, correct. Question, what was the reason for that? Answer, the proximity of the ball to the runner approaching third base. Question, so based upon your telling us that there was a play at third base, correct. Man, they're taking the romance out of baseball. Question, how close was he to third base when you signaled for him to slide? Answer, approximately six feet. Was he running at full speed? Correct. And the answer, correct. Question, giving no indication that he was going to slide. Correct. Answer, he was running full speed around the bases. His eyes were not affixed on the ball. He did not see the ball coming. I did. Therefore, he was running full speed, but upon my decision and telling him at a safe distance to slide, he was able to do so. That's the key. Was he at a safe distance to slide? Tell you more about this case and how it's going to end up. The high school coach, the high school JV baseball coach, tells a kid to slide into third base. He pops his ankle, requires five surgeries, will never run again. Is he at fault for this? Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Darkness right in front of me, oh, it's calling out and I won't walk away. I would always open up the door. Always looking up behind the walls. Wanna see it, I'll give it all. I was always up to make a change. Gary and 
Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Telling you the story about this uh, former JV baseball coach in New Jersey. April 4th, 2012, Jake Mazar hits a triple left center field. And uh, he's rounding second, heading into third. The ball's coming into third. The coach at third base tells Jake to slide. There's going to be a play. Jake's ankle pops. Bad. Five surgeries. Stem cell injections. Doctors tell him he is... uh, He's never going to be doing high-impact exercise again, and that includes jogging, for example. About three years later, the coach is informed that he's going to be sued. He was named in the lawsuit along with the school district and the administrators who hired him. Because remember, he's a 23-year-old kid, fresh out of college. He wasn't expecting to be the JV coach, but I guess the head coach had retired or left early or whatever. So he was kind of forced into into this role. Played baseball all his life. And in court, he had to admit he'd never taken instruction on how to coach baseball. He just kind of went off what he knew, having played it for 15 years. The key, though, was just about how far away Jake was when the coach gave him the sign to slide or told him to slide or get down or whatever he said. Remember, two other people were on base. He was turning his head, watching those guys score. And according to the plaintiff, according to the kid who's suing the coach, he saw him too late, realized that the play was going to be made at third, and that unless Jake slid, he's going to be tagged out for sure. The question from an attorney, you gave him a signal to slide when he was approximately six feet from the base, correct? Correct. And by your past answer, I take it your position that being six feet from a base with a runner running full speed, that's a safe distance to begin a slide? Yes. What distance is not a safe distance for a runner to begin a slide? Any distance inside two feet. There would be no reason for a third base coach to signal a player to slide into third base if there was not a potential play at third base. Correct. Because sliding is dangerous. And the answer, sliding is potentially dangerous, but with proper training and teaching and the plaintiff's player experience, he could safely do so in an attempt to avoid injury. And then the lawyer stands two feet next to the guy and says, this is two feet. Is this too close to slide? All of this goes to the jury. And a lot of money is riding on the decision. The judge said if they found the coach, Souk, had acted recklessly to take into account Jake Messler's life expectancy when considering damages for his pain and suffering. Remember, he's never going to be able to run for a long way. He's not going to jog. All of his exercise has to be low impact because of the damage to his ankle from that one slide into third base. The number, by the way, for life expectancy, the kid's 22 years old at the time of the lawsuit. They said he'll probably live at least another 60 years. Inside the jury room, they go back over that play at third base. They talk about 
the inconsistent, incomplete set of facts about exactly what happened. Was the other team a good team? Was it likely that they were going to get the kid out at third base? Did that left fielder have a monster cannon out there and left that would throw a strike to third base? One of the jurors is 22. She's a senior at Rowan University and connects with the plaintiff during the trial saying, I'm the same age. I'm an athlete as well. She said she was ready to side with him until just the last few minutes before walking into deliberations. And it wasn't anything from the lawyers or the testimony that started to sway her, but words from the judge. The judge said, here is the legal definition of recklessness. And if the judge or if the coach could be found reckless in telling this kid to slide into third, That's when you put him on the hook for this. In the deliberation room, five jurors agree with her, two do not. And you have to have seven of eight in that case to reach a verdict. 30 minutes pass. They ask for more copies of depositions. They ask, by the way, deposition of the umpire, which was not admissible in court. So they didn't get to see it in the deliberation room. They go back over the play at third base. And she says, this number one, uh, this juror who's about the same age as the plaintiff in this case, she says to the other jurors, how is the coach reckless? That's how you play the game. Two hours go by. The foreman reads the verdict. Seven no's and one yes. Meaning seven jurors say the coach is not responsible For the kid's ankle injury. And everybody leaves. Spent probably $75,000-$80,000 on this case. The coach had to do it. Coach had to put up money as well to defend himself against it. Although a lot of his was paid by the school district since he was an employee at the time that this happened. And here's the thing. Had the insurance company decided to settle this and the plaintiff decided to take the money, they probably would have gotten a couple hundred thousand dollars out of the school district. And the kid, the kid, at the time the kid was, coach was 23, he's now 30, 32. He probably never would have been in a position to have to testify against himself in this case. All right. When we come back, huge deal in the uh, entertainment world. Jeopardy, Tournament of Champions of Tournament of Champions. Ken and James and Brad, the three biggest nerds, will face off coming up in uh, January. We'll talk about all of that coming up in just a few minutes when Jason Nathanson joins us from across the hill in the Hollywood. Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. We're going to end the uh, show today in a few minutes on a uh, on a very positive note coming out of a, a very negative situation. Earlier today, I told you about the vigil last night for the victims at uh, Saugus High School. Thousands of people showed up to Central Park 
I know a bunch of people who couldn't even find a place to park to go to the vigil and watched it online. Um, but one of the things that happened last night is one of the girls who was injured in the shooting posted a video. She was great friends with Gracie Ann Muehlberger, who eventually was the one pronounced dead the day of the shooting. And uh, I wanted to play for you her video because it is a, an incredible testament to not only what a great kid she is, but how it is you have to be able to try to find some sort of positivity in the in the midst of what is just a horrific tragedy. So we'll do that in a few minutes. Wanted to uh, lighten things up a little bit. Jason Nathanson joining us to talk about all things fun and entertainment. And man, Jay, I'm not allowed to watch Jeopardy in my household because it turns us into old people quicker than we want to be old. Um, but coming up in January, there's going to be like the tournament of all time champions at uh, in Jeopardy. I thought you weren't allowed because you get really competitive and it gets dangerous. I have been known to flip over a coffee table in Final Jeopardy. That's what I've heard about you, which yep. is you need to get some you know, help for that. Uh, yeah, there. It's uh, so. This is called Jeopardy: The Greatest of All Time. That's what the title is going to be for the winner of this, and we're going to see the match that I think everybody's been waiting for. Uh, James Holtower, who just you know this year won so many uh, the episodes in a row and set new daily records almost every day that he was on there. He's going to go up against Ken Jennings, who of course holds the record for the seventy-four game win streak, which is the longest in Jeopardy hi- Jeopardy history, and Brad. Rudder, who I think didn't get as much love when James Holtar was doing his stuff. Everybody was comparing him to Ken Jennings, but Brad Rudder is the guy who's won the most money of all time on Jeopardy, over four and a half million dollars, and he's never been beaten by a human. Now he came up in a time where you won five episodes and that was it; you were done. And then he came back and won a bunch of tournaments. Uh, but he's the the uh, reigning money winner on Jeopardy. So the three of them are going to go up against each each other. This is in January, and it's going to be in prime time. They're going to have it on ABC at 8 o'clock, so right in, you know, when everybody's watching, and they're going to go up against each other in a series of matches, and I think the first person to win three matches is going to be crowned Jeopardy, the greatest of all time. <laughs> uh, we need some music there. So we need some fanfare. I, I felt like there was uh, some trumpets that needed to play <laughs> in the right. background. Um, so, if this is going to be January, they... I know they pre-tape all of these. When when would we expect to see production on this? I have no idea. I would imagine that they're probably going to work this in before the holidays. They they would have to. And, of course, you also have Alex Trebek's health to think about. Uh, and, you know, you don't want to work him extra. Uh, but uh, they're probably in, uh, maybe they're taping him now. Maybe, they, maybe they've already done it. Who knows? Jeopardy tapes very well ahead. But this is a special thing. So um, maybe they might tape it closer. Or I don't think it's going to be live. I don't, I don't think in the press release. That would have been cool if they would have done, done a live Jeopardy. Uh, but we will we will see here that and this is going to be something. I mean, Jeopardy's. I think it's it's been in the news a lot over the past year, uh, especially for Alex Trebek's health problems, which is uh, a sad thing for it to be in the news for. But people, it seems because of James Holtzauer, also people have been paying attention to Jeopardy in a way that they hadn't. I think in, in a few years. So this is definitely something that ABC is going to capitalize on that and give people a good show because these uh, these special tournaments do well usually. Yeah, and that's going to be Tuesday the seventh, which. Means- means that the uh, I believe it's going to be the football college football title game will be on Monday the 6th so they're going to have oh, all perfect. kinds of advertisement for that um, are you the one who saw Charlie's Angels over the weekend 
I'm not the one who saw Charlie's Angels over the weekend, although I should have because that would have helped Charlie's Angels, and it needed some help because it did not do very well at the box office. And this is a series of kind of big-name franchises that we we know and we're familiar with that have bombed over the past couple weeks. Charlie's Angels was supposed to make about $15 million over the weekend, which wouldn't have been great to begin with. It cost around $50 million to make, reportedly. And if you look at the last sequel or the last iteration of it with Cameron Diaz and Drew Barrymore and Lucy Liu in 2003, that opened to $37 million. So this making $15 million would have been far behind that, but it actually opened well below that, just $8.6 million, which is uh, not good, not what they were thinking. Uh, You know, this one stars Kristen Stewart. It uh, was written, directed, produced, and co-stars Elizabeth Banks, who tweeted today, well, if you're going to make a flop, make sure your name is on it at least four times. So (laughs) she's got a good sense of humor about it, but she also added that she's proud to have made the movie and happy that it's in the world, but people did not really... You know, I I don't know if it's we hear about franchise fatigue all the time and sequel fatigue and things like that. But, you know, when it comes to Marvel and the Avengers and other things, they do very, very well. So in the past couple of weeks, we've had this didn't do very well. Terminator Dark Fate also bombed. And that Shining sequel, Dr. Sleep, also bombed. Different reasons, reasons, I think, for all of them. Um, But this is now three weeks in a row where we've seen something that people are familiar with not doing well at the box office. Uh, Meanwhile, Joker comes in with a billion dollars already. That's pretty special. Spectacular. A billion dollars in just over a month that it's been out, which is, and there's a couple reasons why this is a very, very big number because a, it was just, it was a divisive movie that nobody was sure, you know, with the violence and everything that people were really going to take to it, but they did, and it's the first R-rated film to ever hit a billion dollars, if you can believe that. That's never happened before, and it did it without opening in China, which is an amazing thing in this day and age that a film would do that, uh, because a lot of box office is 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 uh, skewered towards uh, overseas market, with China being one of the biggest markets there. And in order for your movie to do very well, a lot of films count on that. But this film did not open in China, and it's already hit a billion dollars, which, by the way, is this is a record, the seventh film to hit a billion dollars this year already. Pretty good year. All right, Jay, thanks. Appreciate it. Take care. Jason Nathan's in there with the latest on uh, some of these big movies coming out, and, of course, that big Jeopardy thing is going to start Tuesday, January 7th. All right, we come back. Uh, I did not make it out to the vigil last night in uh, hosted by the city of Santa Clarita at Central Park to honor those uh, involved in the Saugus High School shooting. But there was a video that's been going around of one of the victims, uh, one of the girls who was injured, was best friends with Gracie Ann Milberger, who uh, was killed on Thursday. And I want to play for you just this thing to, at the very least, give us something positive to take away from the uh, the tragedy from last Thursday. We'll talk about that when we come back to Gary and Shannon. I start cooling out my hair. I'm on a cover myself with the ashes of you. Gary and Shannon. Nobody's gonna give a damn. Son of a bitch. KFI AM six forty live everywhere on the iHeart Radio app. LA Auto Show is back this week, November twenty second through the first of December. So. All during Thanksgiving week, including Thanksgiving Day at the L.A. Convention Center in downtown L.A. A thousand vehicles, including cars, trucks, the latest SUVs, electric vehicles, concepts, exotics. Explore some amazing new selections of vehicles and activations. Enjoy the show. Have fun. Take a free test drive. Enjoy with the family. 
plus comparison shop a huge variety of cars you don't have any sales pressure be caller number six right now we'll give you a four pack 1-800-520-1534 800-520-1kfi yeah it's time to call come, come on it's time, time to call. call let's call yeah. caller number six wins that four pack Last night, Central Park up in Santa Clarita, the city put on a vigil for the victims and uh, the community uh, around Saugus High School. Central Park, by the way, just for those of you who don't know, it's just a couple of blocks away from the high school. And I mentioned on Thursday that there was word pretty early on that we knew, my family knew, one of the victims in the case. And um, last night, thanks to her parents, Brian and Lindsay, Addison was able to put together a video sitting at home, recovering from having been shot in the abdomen and the shoulder, and talked about Gracie Ann Muehlberger, her great friend who was killed, and 14-year-old Dominic Blackwell, who was identified as the second victim in that case, the 14-year-old boy who was killed on Thursday morning. And one of the more moving parts of Last night's vigil was when they played the audio from what turns out to be the video of Addison sitting at home, surrounded by presents and get well wishes, talking about her friends. She ends it on an incredibly positive note. Because looking at what a 14, 15, 16 year old kid goes through in a traumatic event like that, for Addison to be able to come out with a positive message to go forward with was pretty amazing. I saw the whole video this morning and I wanted to play for you what it is that Addison said to all of her classmates and everybody around Saugus High School in the Santa Clarita Valley last night. My name is Addison Kegley and I am a Saugus Centurion, class of 2023. I wanted to let everyone know that I am doing well and I am at home with my family. I would like to thank the students, teachers, and staff and the first responders who literally saved my life on Thursday. I also want to thank the amazing doctors and nurses at the staff of Providence Holy Cross. You guys rock. To my friends and family and my Saugus Strong community, I really appreciate all of the love and support. I am so thankful for each and every one of you. I wish I could be there tonight, but I'm just not quite ready. But I wanted to tell you all a few things about my best friend. I have known Gracie Ann Muehlberger for six amazing years. And... I know pretty much everything about her. I've only known Dom since about September, but it's felt like a lifetime because we became such fast friends. While knowing both of these amazing people, I've learned so much about them. Gracie was unique and she cared about others the way no one else could. Just by being around her was one of the best feelings in the world and I wish I could be around her just one last time. Gracie was silly, kind, smart, loving, caring, and beautiful on the inside and out. I have more memories with Gracie than I honestly do with anyone. All of the dances we made up, the performances we did, the lemonade stands we did to try and make money, Gracie was my childhood. She taught me what real love was and that if I wanted something so badly, I could do anything and everything to achieve it. Gracie had the biggest heart you could ever imagine. She could read me like a book. She would make sure I was okay, and if I needed anything, she would get it for me as soon as possible. I spent so much time with Gracie, I practically lived at her house. 
I personally considered Mr. and Mrs. Muehlberger to be my second set of parents, and they are so amazing and so great to me, and I'm so beyond grateful for them. All of the inside jokes, nicknames, shows we loved were my favorite memories. There was one day where we decided to watch Barbie as a throwback, and we ended up loving it so much that we just kept watching it. We would stumble over our words and make those silly words nicknames. Gracie was one of the best people I have ever met, and she changed my life for the better. I love her so much, and she was the best six years of my life. Dominic and I have known each other for a couple of months. However, we grew very close, very fast. Dom had a great soul, a kind heart, a loving spirit, and so much more. He could put a smile on anyone's face with just his silly looks, and he could make my day within a second. Dominic was such an amazing person, and I will miss him every single day. My family and I thank all of you for your wonderful love, support, and prayers. I promise each of you that I will make something amazing out of this horrible situation. Gracie would have wanted me to. We've got this. Saga strong. We shared Addison's video on our Facebook page so that you can check it out. Uh, but also go to saugastrong.org and see how it is that you can help out. John and Ken up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Compared to lying on the floor of the bank, this was Space Mountain to me. I, you know, I thought it was great. Gary and Shannon. Oh, that was fantastic. I feel a thousand percent better. <laughs>